You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. Would you stand together with me for the reading of the word? We go to Isaiah chapter number 45. And in this portion of scripture, the prophet is speaking as the oracle of God. And he's prophesying to those nations around and he's letting them know that there will be a voice coming, testifying. Then he makes the case. And in verse number 7, I want to look at one verse of Scripture. God speaks through the mouth of his prophet Isaiah, and he says this. He says, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all These things. In the modern English version, he says it this way it's translated, I make peace and create calamity. I make peace and create calamity. It's this issue that a lot of people have come to reject God because they don't understand what God is explaining to us in this very passage. But I want to focus on this phrase, I make peace. He's not only the creator of the universe, but he's the author, the creator of all peace. Amen. I want to preach just about a God of peace. Would you lay your Bibles down and let's ask the presence of the Lord to enlighten our soul today by the hearing of his word. God, in Jesus' name, I thank you this morning for being our Father, for being a loving God to us. And I ask in these next few moments that your Spirit would speak into our lives, speak life to every darkness, God, every hopeless situation this morning in this house. Let the anointing of God have your way today in Jesus' name. And somebody said in Jesus' name, amen. Clap your hands to the Lord one more time. Hallelujah. We magnify the Lord together. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Blessed be the name of the Lord, and God bless you as you're seated this morning in Jesus' name. I love being out in nature. I enjoy the world that God has placed around us. I appreciate the, the, the magnitude of everything that is here, the stars, We just spent a few days, pleasant days, I shall say, in the Gulf of Mexico where the water is an incredible emerald color and the sand is is like fine powder beneath your feet and the breeze was very refreshing. The salt air gave life back to my uh, sinuses, I guess you could say, after coming through the winter. Driving home, we passed through the... Pinewood Forest of Southern Alabama, and wow, love the smell of the pines as you're going through. We crossed through the foothills of the Appalachia into Southern Illinois, where we pause to take a moment to carry my wife and Luca, or I didn't carry my wife, but carry Luca through the fern cliffs of Southern Illinois, and everything was so vibrant and so brilliant, and you could smell. Uh, the uh, the pollen that was in the air, the, and and it was just wonderful. This 
weekend will take. A few of us will dare to go and pretend like we are still young and sleep on the earth and get in a boat and uh, parade down the river and get out and act like men and tell ourselves we enjoy that. <laughs> I love being out in nature, though. I enjoy it because there is something about it, whether you're standing on the canyon tops of Arizona or finding yourself in the mountains or in the valleys and plains of the Dakotas where I was greeted this morning over video chat by our own brother Dean who is in South Dakota out this morning and uh, he's working up there and so I just called in to wish us a happy Sunday and uh, wherever you're at, there's something incredible about nature because as Paul says in Romans chapter 1, that it all testifies that we are not just here by accident, but that there is a God. And you look out into the stars and the heavens, and wow, the magnitude of that, whether it's a sunset over the ocean, or it's the way of the creatures that you, you, you've never seen before. And whenever you go to the ocean, you see things that, you, you don't even know what they are. These little jelly things that float up and around. All of this stuff, the magnitude of it, wow. This, there must be a God that created all of this. And there's something powerful when you look at it. Not only does nature testify to the fact that there is a God, but it testifies about that God. Yes. And Scripture uses it so often. Job said this, that God knows the number of the stars and he calls them all by name. He was testifying that God knows every detail of the universe, both near and far. And if he concerns himself with that, then he surely knows where we are. As the grains of the sands of the ocean there he also testifies of his greatness of his mercy and this also is what Isaiah does when he stands in chapter 45 and he's testifying of the power of God and he's testifying of the righteousness of God and he's testifying to the fact that even though rebellion exists and rejection against God exists that God will reign in righteousness. That there will be a day where righteousness will prevail. That's the message of Isaiah. He's speaking in the context of a backslidden time, an era when every man has walked away from God and those that still retain some semblance of worship to God. He says it's full of such hypocrisy that God rejects your sacrifice and your worship, but God will reign in righteousness. And there is this one verse of Scripture that causes us pause. It's a speed bump in our thought process because it says something that we don't usually uh, can grasp or truly vet or understand. God says this, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. What is God saying here? We, we know him as a God of light. We know him as a God of peace. What is God 
saying here? Is he the author of all evil? Is he the author of all darkness? Is he, is he the one that spoke calamity into existence? It is this point that many will reject God. They will come and say, how can God exist if there is evil and there is wickedness? If there is hunger and there is famine, how can a loving God exist when all of these other things are among us? Surely there is no God because if there was a God, there would be no evil. There would be no darkness. And yet here in Isaiah, God testifies that he creates darkness and he creates Evil. What is God saying? How do we reconcile this? A God that I serve is the God that, that is light and life. A God that is purity and a God that is peace. So how can that same God be the author of darkness and the author of calamity? Note the order that it is given. I form the light and create Darkness. God lets us know that he creates light. When we look at light, what is light? Light is nothing more than an energy. You cannot capture light and bottle it up. Light is energy. It is moving. It is movement. By definition, when God spoke the world into existence, the first things that he says is, let there be light. He was not just saying light from illumination sense, although I believe that it's contained in that, but he was actually speaking energy into existence. Light does not stay in one place. It is energy that emanates and it comes out and it dispels, it dispenses into the atmosphere. Darkness, on the other hand, is the absence of light. It is not energy. It is static. It is the absence of energy. It is the absence of movement. And so God says, I form the light and I create darkness. Let me help you here because this is how we ought to understand this verse. It is a further unfolding of the revelation of God, which we addressed at depth in our absolute series a, a, uh, last year. But when God says, I form light, or I create light, or he spoke light into existence, the moment that God defines or that he creates something, the moment that he creates something and he defines it, he creates the opportunity for the opposite to exist. He cannot say, let there be light, Unless there is something that defines that light. And by definition, light means that there is movement, there is energy, there is illumination. And so if we are in a place of not light, he, he, it, that is darkness. He, he allows the opportunity for not light to exist. Does that make sense? God says, I make peace and I create evil. Or I create calamity. God did not set out on the beginning of creation and say, I am going to speak evil into existence. No. But when he spoke 
And he defines himself. He defines himself as an all-knowing God. By definition, he created the opportunity for something not to know everything. When he defines himself as omnipresent, everywhere present, he then, by definition, creates the opposite definition of something that is not able to be everywhere. When he says, I am pure and I am holy, by definition, he now creates the possibility and the opportunity for the opposite to exist. When he says, let there be light, he creates the opportunity now for darkness or the absence of light to exist. Job understood this when Job was speaking with God. And in this conversation, God is asking him certain things to illustrate his Ignorance or his lack of knowledge, Job said this in 38 and 19. Where is the way where light dwelleth? And as for darkness, where is the place thereof? Job understood that you can't find a place of light because light is always moving. It's energy. And so light is in a way. But darkness is not in a way because darkness is static. It's the absence of energy. It's the absence of movement. And so it is a place. And so he said, where is the place thereof? So when God says, I form light... And create darkness. Darkness by definition is just the absence of light. It is just a place where light is not going. Where light is not illuminating. Where light is not moving. Where light does not have access. In that same sense, Isaiah speaks to us in this Little scientific natural illustration of light and darkness. He then goes on and he speaks to us about peace. He says, as God, I make peace and I create calamity. Isaiah, God uses the natural to illustrate something spiritual in our life. Hear me today. Hear me today, when we wrestle with evil and calamity and disillusion in our life, it is not the purpose or the intent or the will of God. God is not the author of confusion. Can I get an amen? God is not the author of confusion in the sense that he intended for confusion to exist. But when God authored faith, when he made an order, he made the possibility for there to be confusion to exist. But he didn't intend for confusion to come. No, the Bible tells us that Satan is the father of lies, and he's full of lies. But God is not the author of confusion, but he is the author and the finisher of our faith. God said, I make peace. I make peace. Amen. So we've got to ask, what is peace? Somebody say shalom. 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 That is the actual word 
translated peace. You will notice that word because today, even in modernity, it is still the first and foremost greeting among the Jewish people, shalom. When they greet one another, they literally are saying peace. They are coming to one another saying peace. It was the greeting of, of uh, uh, the hippie movement, if you will. Peace, 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 brother. And we say peace to one another, peace out, whatever. It's a greeting there, but it was a greeting that the Jews picked up. And the reason why is because God was a God of peace. They were speaking something, peace. God says, I make peace. By definition, shalom literally means it is completeness. It is security. It is welfare. It is prosperity. By definition, peace. So when they see one another and they say peace, they are speaking a blessing or a greeting on their friend, upon this person that they are coming to. Or they are leaving them with peace. Peace be with you. It was a farewell uh, 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 salutation or greeting in, in, even in the law in Deuteronomy peace be with you go in peace and they were calling for your completeness for your security your completeness in the intent that God intended for you let there be nothing lacking in your life let there be nothing lacking in my life let your life be of peace let there be security let there be welfare let there be health in your life peace by concept it means literally everything that God intended for you everything that God created literally God's will and God's purpose at work liberally in your life I think that's a good greeting. I think that's a great greeting. Peace. Turn to somebody and say peace. Peace. Come on. I, I, the hippies may have taken that, but we ought to take that back. That's all right. Peace. I'm praying God's will. I'm praying God's blessing to you. I'm praying completeness. I'm praying security. I'm praying the welfare of everything that God intended. Everything that God purposed for you. But the problem is... Is that when God made peace, he by definition allowed there to be something other than peace. That which is other than peace. That which is calamity. That which is confusion. And as that is translated calamity in some, it is translated evil elsewhere. It's translated evil here in the authorized version because they understood that evil is the simple absence of peace at work. Darkness is not an energy. It's not a movement. It is just the absence of light. Evil or calamity is not an energy that we're fighting against. It's not something that I'm striving against. Calamity is just the absence, hear me, of peace. It's just the absence of peace. You take, you take God out of the equation and you've got calamity. You take God out of the equation and you've got evil. Amen? 
That's why we're not trying to be bold and arrogant and mean and rude when we stand up against certain things in the culture. I have nothing against the world. I have nothing against, against culture and my, my fellow man. But when there are things in culture that move to eradicate and erase God, I say, wait a minute, that, there's going to be trouble there. Not because I'm against people or I'm against the culture per se, but I understand that when you withdraw peace out of the equation, all you're left with is evil and calamity when you take God out. And so that's why as the world encroaches and tries to remove things, folks, can I tell you that, that now academia has, has pretty much won the day and we are eradicating, we are racing the scriptural account, the word of God. We're taking the word of God out. We take prayer out. We, we don't want to uh, uh, even offend anybody when we pray. We don't want to use the name of Jesus. We don't want to say anything. We're worried about offending. Can I tell you, I should be less worried about offending and I'm not here to offend that's not my intent but I should be less concerned about offending my family or my friends than I am about the pending evil or calamity that lays on the horizon when I take God out of the equation and I take God out of the picture I'm not sporing for a fight I'm not looking to get into it with anybody but what I am looking is to bring back the prince of peace in the midst of a dark and evil world. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Bring the God of peace back. So shalom. Somebody say shalom. Peace. Peace. It's a greeting. It illustrates, amen, that he's the God of peace, Isaiah 9 and 6. Let us know when Isaiah was prophesying about Messiah. And oh, this is good stuff. He says, for unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of peace hallelujah he's the prince of peace he's the one that's going out subduing all iniquity and all evil it was from this revelation that Paul would use the phrase God of peace many times in Romans chapter 15 and 33 he leaves them getting ready to close out his epistle with this now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Can I tell you? That's my prayer for you today. Let the God of peace be with you. Amen. 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 I, I like to come to church. I love church. I love the church experience. I enjoy singing and worshiping God. I actually enjoy clapping my hands, lifting my hands. I love praying. I love all of that stuff. But can I tell you where it really, really matters, where it really materializes is when you go back out and get in that car and you walk back through the threshold of your home, renewed and restored. And you know, I may be walking amongst calamity. I may be walking through evil, but the God of peace the God of completeness the God of security the God of welfare the God of prosperity is here with me now folks if that doesn't give you confidence that gives you confidence now, now we, we, we made prayer requests today 
Some of those prayer requests are hard. Last night at prayer, thank you for those that were here. First Saturday prayer, always a wonderful time. And we had prayer requests that went out. And some of those prayer requests, while wow, we're praying for big things, amen. But I've got confidence. When I bring my petitions to the Lord and say, God, I need this and I need that. And I know what it's like when you're up against things and you're saying, God, I don't know how this is going to work out. But God, I need, there is a confidence when you come and you say, okay, God, I know what I'm looking at. But God, I'm praying right now. You're the God of peace in my life. And so it doesn't matter what the doctor's report says. It doesn't matter how the account looks. When I have put God in my life, when he's on the throne, when he's first in my life, there's a confidence that says, hey, wait a minute. Everything's going to be all right. Why? Because uh, somehow he's going to work it all out in my completeness, for my welfare, for my security. Somebody said amen. 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 The God of peace. We live in a world, though, that is not at peace. Because of sin. What is sin? It's the rejection of God's ways. It's pushback against the authority of God. It is, in a word, rebellion against God. When Adam and Eve sinned in that garden, from that moment on, all humanity has been complicit in sin. We are born in iniquity, shapen. We are born in sin and shapen in iniquity. And here we carry that. Nobody has to teach us. To sin. Nobody has to teach us to rebel. We just do it. Lucas still thinks that no is a game sometimes. Say no. And we've said no enough to him that we'll say, we'll look at him and say no. And he'll start saying, no, 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 no. He knows he's doing so. And he'll continue to do it. Walking around the house going, no, 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 no. He's got that word down. Nobody had to teach him how to do that. It's just innate within us. Come on, we do it within ourselves. And so you say, well, it wasn't a grave sin. It wasn't, oh, yes, it was. When Adam and Eve, who had everything that they could want, living in the Garden of Eden, access to anything, folks, they were in the midst of peace. Why would you trade that for a lie? That says, I'll be like God. Why did they need to be like God when God was doing everything for them? You ever think about that? God was giving, but they rebelled against God. They pushed back against the authority of God because God says you can enjoy all of this, but there are some some definitions and some parameters that I have established, and you've got to work within this context. And when they threw that out, they threw out God's ways, and what they did not realize was they displaced peace in their life. And then the Bible says comes thorns, and then... There comes the toil by the sweat of your brow. And then comes increased pain in in reproduction. All of these things come not because God intended them, but because God was displaced from working among them. Can I tell you, your best answer and pathway to prosperity is stop displacing God. You got to invite God in. You got to bring God in. You got to say, God, I need you to work in my life hallelujah that's why it's a powerful thing when you invite God in your life 
We're in our series right now, Five Essential Things for Spiritual Growth. And we talked about the Word of God. Why wouldn't you want the Word of God in your life? I want to ingest that. I'm bringing the Word of God in my life. I'm finding out what God wants me to do, how He wants me to live, what's the best way for my life. And then we went on to worship. Amen. You know, worship is my response to that awesome God. Basically saying, hey, look, He's the God of peace. I'm going to glorify Him. I don't want to displace Him. I want to keep Him at the center of my heart. Last week, Brother Duff taught on our giving. Why? Because we prioritize. We put God. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I want blessing on this life. Yeah. Is that all right? Yeah. Now, I don't live for God for blessing. I don't live for God for a great increased bank account. But while I'm here, it'd be nice to eat a couple steaks once in my life. And God says, hey, he's going to bless somebody. He might as well bless me. And so I want God to be involved. So I'm inviting God into my finances. I'm not going to the financial planner and displacing God. No, God is my financial planner. I bring him in and say, no, God, I want you to have authority. You know why? Because when you bring him in, he can speak peace. He can bring light into all of the calamity and evil that's going on. So we displace God and we wonder what well everything's falling apart. Well, you displace God. You got to keep God in there. Amen. This week we'll be talking about prayer. It'll be a great Wednesday night not to miss. We'll be talking about prayer. Amen. And bringing God in. Amen. But the world is not at peace with God. And peace is the elusive thing that the world chases after. The world is not at peace. Isaiah said God created evil. And so many people have taken that and said, see, there God creates evil. All these people around the world that are starving, the hardships of life. Wow. I'll never forget standing in that Haitian village as a couple times we've been there. Ciento says, I've never seen poverty as much as this. It's unbelievable. And, and how those parents would go out and work for hours on end for maybe, maybe a few bucks a week. And it's unbelievable the poverty that they live in. And yet there they are worshiping God and loving God, and our missionaries are doing great works out there trying to help them. But man, you see all the calamity and all the stuff that goes on, the breakdown, the evil of governments, men are evil, and that's really where, that's really where countries and societies fail. We fail because of evil and greed and prides that get inside of things, and man gets in the way, man gets in the way, and all this stuff going on, people look around, all these horrible things that are happening, and the diseases that are taking place in the world. And it's amazing because 120 years ago, they were telling us, well, a little bit longer than that, 150 years ago, they were telling us we were on the dawn of the enlightened age and, and intellect was rising so much that they were prophesying. The secular prophets were saying, we are going to enter into an era where there will be no war, there will be no famine, there will be no trouble. That we're, we're, go, we're, we're, we're arriving as humanity, we're evolving to our highest point. Little did they know that the next century that would follow them would be the century that would see the greatest death in warfare in the global scale. Now at this time in history, in modernity, we have more slaves in the world today than at any other point recorded in modernity, maybe with the exception 
of in the height of the 1860s between Russia and America. But at this point today, there's all kinds of calamity and evil, and the atheists look at that and say, well, see, God does not exist. No, God did not create that. God did not write that. God created a world that could freely love him, freely choose him. He gave us the option to fall in love with him. And in giving us the option, he also had to allow us the possibility to reject him and to walk away from him. In order for him to allow us to choose him, he had to also allow us to reject him, to truly let it be our own choice. And it is the displacement of God that has caused calamity. And now the world stands to find peace, but they're looking for it without God. They want peace. We reach for peace, but we don't want to reach for it through the means and the ways of God. And peace is all the topic. Peace is on the posters of the protest. It's peace, peace, peace. And Jesus said this. He said, be careful because someday they will say peace and safety, but sudden destruction is going to come upon them. This is what Paul says. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, of 1 Thessalonians 5, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But look at what he does. He goes back to this verse in Isaiah, but ye brethren are not in darkness, <laughs> that that day should overtake you as a thief. You all are children of light and children of the day. We are not of night nor of darkness. Can I tell you, he was saying the world has displaced God and they're searching for peace. But those of us that have not displaced him, we do not stand in darkness, but we stand Stand in light. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for the peace of God. Amen. I'm thankful for the peace of God. Oh, somebody ought to put your hands together. What great peace we have. What great peace we have coming down from the Father above. And my prayer is sweep over us. Let your peace sweep over us. Let your peace sweep over us. The world chases their elusive peace, always within sight, never within grasp. The world continually, continually falls away farther and farther from God. America, modernity, Western civilization seems to be on the great track. Globalism is now the only answer that man has for the problems of the world. And so this is, we are, we are hastening forward towards this day. The prophets and the, the end time preachers stand up and they call the things as they're happening. Sometimes some say, hey, we don't know what's, when it's all going to happen. Some try to call things out exactly as they happen. People are concerned. People want to know. Wars and rumors of wars, things that are going on. The media hypes things up. And anxiety too often comes in the church. Can I tell you one place where anxiety should not be? Is in the church. 
Wars and rumors of war, yep, perilous times shall come. Everything's playing out the way God called it. But can I tell you, in the end, it's going to be peace. In the end, come on, it's going to be peace. And God's going to keep us. And God's going to lead us. Why? Because we're not serving a kingdom of confusion, but we're serving a kingdom of peace. Paul says, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. Now, we're going to eat here in a moment. Don't be confused. Now, so I'm not going to take this verse out of context and say, because it's not the kingdom of God, we can't eat or drink. No, uh we're going to eat and drink today. We're going to have fun. But that's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not what's happening in the physical. It's what's taking place in the spiritual. And he says it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You say, well, wait a minute. I- I could never be righteous. Well, that's right. But I could never be peaceful. I could never be joyful. But thank God it's the Holy Ghost. The same Holy Ghost that makes me righteous is the same Holy Ghost that gives me peace. It's the same Holy Ghost that gives me joy inside of my life. This is the kingdom of God. That's why every time we pray, every time you pray, you ought to say, Jesus said you ought to say, pray this way, thy kingdom come. Not my kingdom, not my will. Thy kingdom come. I want your righteousness, God. I want your peace. I want your joy inside of my life. Can I tell you, life only gets messy when we start working on our own kingdom. But if we'll leave our own kingdom aside and we'll pray his kingdom, there comes a clarity. Come on. Isn't that how that works? In the home, in the family, in the marriage, in the job. Let thy kingdom come inside of my life. Now I'm coming to a close. Romans 15 and 13. Now the God of hope. Hope is in the house. Was that the title last Sunday? Is he my Lord? But hope was in the house. That was a, that was a good, uh, you, that was a, you said it or somebody tweeted something about. Hope is in the house. Right. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. For God, 1 Corinthians 14 and 33, this is a good one. For God is not the author of, of confusion, but of peace. Put that up there, 1 Corinthians 14 and 33. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. He's the author of peace. He's the author of your completeness. He's the author of your of your wholeness. He's the author of your security. He's the author of your welfare. You know, sometimes we, we forget, we take for granted what we really have going on. We, we, went, we went to the Gulf Coast and we spent a few days there and we literally did nothing um, but chase Luca. We went on vacation to chase Luca. That's all we did. And it was a, it was a nonstop job to keep him from eating sand. And read a little bit. We, we, we fixed all, my wife fixed most of our meals and we just hung out and didn't go anywhere and didn't really see anybody and just had a good time together as a family. And we had been, I think, seven days and, and we had some friends that passed her not far from there, about an hour. And so called up, met with them, reconnected with them. And we went out to, 
to the restaurant. When we got to the restaurant and we walked in, after being by ourselves for seven days, we sit down at the table. And there they brought their sons and we're having a good time. And as we sat down, you could feel the tangible presence of God. I could feel the Holy Spirit in the fellowship. Now, that's not the first time it happens. It happens a lot. I, I, you, you can feel it. You can sense it. But it hit me. As, as it hit me, I couldn't help but just smile a little bit as I was enjoying the fellowship of God's people. Because, see, we get sometimes we get numb to it. We get so used to that when we come to church that God's doing things in other people's life and we get so comfortable or accustomed to feeling the presence of God that we take it for granted. But it took, it took us seven days of being isolated from that. And life is not just the natural, but it's also the spiritual. And isolated from all that, not around anybody, that the next time we came around somebody, wow, I could identify there's a spirit at work inside of life. It wasn't them. It's not about them. It's not about who they are. It's about what's inside of them. It's the God of peace. It's a kingdom of peace. Can I tell you, I don't ever want to take for granted the spirit that God has put inside of our heart and inside of our life. Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 7 it says, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. There's a peace that doesn't make sense. Come on. There's a peace that doesn't make sense. I, 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 don't, I don't understand it. I don't know. I don't know. I only know what peace looks like. You know what peace looks like? We have a portrait of peace in Mark chapter 4 when the Bible says the disciples were out on the sea and they're out there and a, and a wind picks up and the storm picks up and they're tossed about and they're afraid for their lives. Grown men, some who had been fishermen, who were experts on the water, the open water, now are afraid and in terror for their life. And all of a sudden we've got a portrait of peace. We have Jesus Christ, who is the Prince of Peace. And you know where we find him? We find him in the boat, laying his head on the pillow, resting through the storm. You know what peace looks like? Peace looks like rest in the midst of storm. Peace looks like rejuvenation. Peace looks like completeness and wholeness and security and prosperity in the midst of the storm. And they awoke him and said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Hey, don't you get it, disciples? Peace is at rest no matter what's going on. That's peace that doesn't make sense. Wait a minute, there's a storm going on. Yeah, but peace doesn't make sense. Why? Because he's saying, hey, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Jesus would say, hey, God's got this. Hey, I, I got this. Hey, he's the author. He's the creator. He's not going to drown. Storm's not going to overtake him. And so he stands up and he says, peace, be still. And there, there you go. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. That's what peace looks like. God can calm it in a moment. Peace knows. Peace knows that God can change things in one moment. Come on, have you ever had God give an answer in a moment? God come through in a miracle in a moment. 
Say, hey, I don't understand. You know why we bring hard things to God? You know why we request hard things for God? You know why we pray? We don't, we don't just, now I don't know about you, but some people, you know, they hear of somebody, you take God out of the picture. And they hear somebody has cancer. They hear somebody goes through a bereavement or some kind of thing. And the world says things, weird things sometimes to people trying to comfort them. Like you are so brave. And, and, and that's all that they've got to offer. But as a believer in Jesus Christ, we can say, I'm praying for you. You know what that means? That means that I know that God at any moment can step up on the turbulent storms of life. And you may go through them, but God at any moment can turn it around. That is powerful. That is powerful. When people get down on their last, they don't care what label you wear. They don't care how you look. They don't care how you dress. They just care. Do you know a God? Come on. They don't care how many degrees you have. They don't care how much money's in your bank account. They don't care how big your followers are on social media. All they know is can you connect with a God? That can speak peace in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the calamity. And can I tell you, not only is it a kingdom of peace, not only is he a God of peace, we're living in a kingdom of peace, and peace looks like rest in the midst of the storm. But I'm going to tell you what peace does, and this is something you can shout about. Peace does this. In Romans 16 and 20, Paul says, and the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet. The God of peace shall bruise Satan under your peace. Under your feet. Can I tell you that's peace. God says, hey, I intend completeness. It's my will that you get victory over sin. Satan has no more hold on you. Hell has no power on you. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Why? Because the God of peace has given me eternal victory through life everlasting in Christ Jesus. Come to the music. That's what peace does. The God of peace bruises Satan under your feet. So you say, well, hey, you don't know what I've got in my past. Can I tell you, it doesn't matter what you've got in your past. The God of peace... It's God's will and God's purpose. Can I tell you, it doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter how far you've fallen off. It doesn't matter how bad you've been. It does not matter. Sometimes we like to fool ourselves or we like to fool other people. We come to the house of the Lord. Sometimes we come in and say, man, somebody else is worshiping. Oh, man, I wish I could worship like that. I've had people tell me that. Man, I wish I could worship like that. You just get up there and you just worship. You can But you can't when you got calamity and evil going on in your life. It's hard to do all that stuff. But when the God of peace comes in. Old timers used to talk about getting the victory. You know what I'm talking about? Getting the victory? When they, they, man, she got the victory tonight. Or he got the victory tonight. A lot of times it materialized as getting the victory. It materialized in a Pentecostal context experiment or experience. They would come to the altar and somebody would lift their voice and they would pray and they'd get a little bit exuberant sort of like the cardinals winning the i started to say super bowl that would be really something if they won the super bowl the world series people 
people go, man, they get, woo, you know, they're really excited. Can I tell you, it's greater than the Cardinals winning the World Series or the Super Bowl. Man, when God does it and he puts Satan under your feet, wow. And, and, and it would express itself in some way. And they would let out a worship. They would shout, praise God. And sometimes they would just say, old timers, they didn't always have all the theology and the phraseologies right and articulate everything right. They just, sometimes they were just simple. They just say, you just need to get the victory. You just need to go to the altar and get the victory. Now, that doesn't translate necessarily well in the halls of seminary, but can I tell you, in the spiritual world, what's actually playing out is that when you bring your calamity to God, you bring your troubled life that God has not been a part of, and you invite God back in, and the God of peace comes back in, there's something that's taking place on the inside. But it's not just enough. It's got to express itself on the outside because God gave you victory. You know what? Sometimes I just need to get the victory. Sometimes I go to my prayer closet and say, God, today, all that matters is I just need to get the victory today. Come on. Maybe this week you just need to get the victory. I just need to let the God of peace. God says, I make peace. You'll never find peace outside of the source. This is what peace does. It bruises Satan under your feet. This is what else peace does in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the God of peace. God's purpose, the will, his intent... Liberally at work in your life. Completeness, wholeness, welfare, prosperity, security. That's the God of peace at work in your life. And when he comes, he sanctifies you wholly from the top of your head to the sole of your feet. I lost my appetite for worldly things. I lost my appetite for dead stuff, Paul says. I don't follow after the dead things of this world. I, I'm looking for the things that are alive in Christ. Why? Because the God of peace has sanctified me wholly. I've walked away from some things that were, that were displacing God in my life. And now I'm living a posture of saying, God, I want you inside of my heart. I want you in my life. See, don't take it for granted because this thing called peace is so powerful. Church, hear me today. This thing called peace is so powerful. I'll never forget. And I've got to, I know I've shared it here before, but I've got to share it again. And I'm closing. This is it. My parents moved when I was 17 years old. I lived in a house in the inner city, east side of Indianapolis, until I was 16. We moved uh, when I was 17 to a new home in a nicer neighborhood. So my sister could go to a decent public school. And there was a couple that had built the house next to us, lived there before we moved in. And his name was Bruce. I graduated from high school and I started attending Bible college. And went to Bible college for four years. And Bruce was a very nice guy, great guy. I didn't know his story at the time. 
But Bruce was always intrigued with the Bible and with Scripture. Actually, we didn't know this until we found out later that Bruce and his wife had both been to our church about 15 years prior, 15, 20 years prior. It had been probably 15 years prior. And both been baptized. But then he never went back, never, never served God. Went, got baptized, gave his heart to God, but then he never went back. So Bruce would like to talk with me. He knew I was going to school for the Bible, studying the Word of God. And he always liked to talk to me about end times, the book of Revelation. And I had some great conversations with Bruce as he'd stand in his driveway drinking his beer, asking me about how the world's going to end, how he thought that was so cool, and different things, and how we've got to be right and ready, and how all this stuff plays out. My family moved. They lived there for seven years. I was married, gone out of the house, and they moved, lost track of Bruce. It was about three years Bruce called my dad a couple years after my parents moved, and he called my father, and he told my father his story. He said, look, I've lost everything. He said, I've lost my business. He said, I, I got back on drugs and alcohol, and he said, and marriage is hanging together by a thread, and he said, and I have cancer, and the doctors can't do anything for me. He had liver cancer, and the next time I saw Bruce, he was a shell of a man that he was before, literally probably lost half of his body weight, skin and bones. And uh, Bruce called my dad, and my dad was like, well, Bruce, we'll pray for you. Bruce, you need the Holy Ghost. And, and for all those years that we had talked to Bruce, and Bruce called my dad. He said, my dad's name is Jonathan. He called him and said, Jonathan, I wanted to know. He said, I want to tell you. He said, when you and your family moved in to the house next door to us, he said, everything stabilized in my life. And this was Bruce's testimony. Bruce's testimony. I'm not making this up. And he, he uh, I, wish, I wish I could bring him here today. I wish he could testify this to you. I asked him again. He, he ver verified it for me. But he told, he told my dad, he said, when you lived here, he said, everything stabilized. And his words was, he said, there was a spirit of peace. This is his words that was in our home. He said, in our marriage, he said, in my business, he said, everything stabilized. That was his words. And he said, when you moved out of your house, he said, it lingered for three months. And he said, and then it left. I'm going to tell you, what you have inside of you is more powerful than often we will recognize and we acknowledge. And when you're going through your day, and you may think there's evil and calamity around, I'm going to tell you, when you come up against something, people notice it. And they recognize, hey, what is going on? And Bruce said, he said, that spirit left my house. He said, when it left my house, he said, everything started falling apart. He said, my job started, he said, everything messed up. He said, I got back on drugs. He had, a, he had quite a history. He had quite a history. He said, now cancer's overtaken my body. He said, the doctors are giving me no hope. This was his thing. So my dad was trying to say, Bruce, you need the Holy Ghost. And what Bruce said, well, he said this. He said, Jonathan, what I was calling to ask, my dad's thinking, oh, this is great. Bruce is going to come to church with me. Bruce is going to pray. And Bruce said, well, what I was calling to ask is he said, are there any homes near you for sale? <laughs> and my dad laughed and said, what do you mean, Bruce? He said, no. He said, I, I want to move back next to you. That was the impact. I'm not, I can't make this up. 
And my dad said, Bruce, you don't need to be my neighbor. What you need is the Holy Ghost. He said, okay. He said, but are there any homes for sale near you? He said, no, Bruce, you don't understand. You don't have to move across town to be my neighbor to get what I've got. You've just got to have the Holy Ghost inside of your life. And he said, I know, but are there any homes for sale near you? That very week, before that call came, the condo right across the driveway from my dad's house had a for rent sign put in the window. My dad's looking out the window as he's talking to Bruce. He said, well, Bruce, actually, I'm looking at a for rent sign. He said, what's the number? He gave him the number. Bruce called him back the next week and said, hey, Jonathan, we're going to be neighbors again. And Bruce moved all the way across town just because he was looking for peace. Can I tell you, that's how hungry, that's how, when you get at the bottom, you'll do anything it takes to get peace back in your life. My dad said, well, Bruce, you got to let me give you a Bible study. You've got to start going to church with me because that's what's going to make a difference. Two years, Bruce lived next to my parents. He came to church, and I'll never forget, Bruce (laughs) went to church, and they had prayer for sick on Sunday evening like we do on Sunday morning, and they wheeled him down for prayer in his wheelchair. The men, the elders gathered around and began to pray for him. And while they were praying for his body, God filled his soul with the gift of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. I asked Bruce, I said, Bruce, how was church? And he looked at me and he said, I got that ghost y'all been talking about. (laughs) It was two weeks later that Bruce took his last breath, passed from this life. Cancer ate his body. But before he went, he looked at my dad and he said, look, You don't have to pray for me anymore. I'm at peace with God. I I, I know I wish I could do everything over, but I'm ready to go. I'm ready to meet the Lord. Can I tell you, that's worth living for. That's worth dying for. That's worth giving everything that you've got. Peace when you stand together. There's an old song they used to sing. says, I know the peace speaker. I know him by name. He can speak peace into your life. This morning, his heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I'm speaking to calamities. I'm speaking to evils. I'm speaking to confusions. I'm speaking to anxieties this morning in our hearts and in our life. But I'm declaring that there's a God that says, I make peace. In the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ, doubt, you don't scare me. Despair, you don't scare me because I know a peace speaker this morning.